Hello and welcome to this talk from Hershey Baptist Church. We like to study the Bible so we can become people who are courageous in mission, Bible saturated, spirit dependent and loving of others. It's great to have you with us. We are looking at a new series this morning and I'm super excited about it. We're going through a season in this country when people are finding life really hard. Some are physically sick, others are exhausted, many are fearful or depressed. We have moments of unity, but it is easy to detect a widespread unease or sense of division, purposelessness or anxiety lying beneath the surface. In times like these, we need to know what God is saying to us and how he wants us to live. And so in our series starting this morning and lasting for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at how we can find God's comfort in the midst of suffering. We're going to be learning how to flourish in difficult seasons. And we're going to be seeing how we can grow together to be a true community that supports one another. So we're going to dive into the Bible in just a moment. But before we do that, here's our lunchtime summary. God wants to comfort us when we suffer and use us to comfort others. God wants to comfort us when we suffer and use us to comfort others. God wants to use us, wants to comfort us when we suffer and use us to comfort others. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring this theme of true community and of walking through hard times together by looking at what St. Paul wrote to one of the earliest churches that he actually founded in the ancient city of Corinth. It was a community that was suffering and struggling. People were tempted to divide from one another. They were struggling to understand what God wanted for them. Before we dive into the detail of what Paul had to say to this group of young Christians, however, I want to take a step back and look at the big picture of his response. It's a bit like going on a hike. When I go out walking, I always follow the directions that I've been given. I want to make it all the way around my route safely or follow the signpost safely. But before I set off, I don't start with the individual directions. I start by looking at the map, seeing the route as a whole, how it hangs together. That way I'm much more likely to understand each step of the journey and much less likely to get off on the wrong track. It's the same thing when we read the Bible. It's tempting to dive into exploring each bit of the Bible, little paragraph by paragraph, but it's good at the start to look at the map, to see the big picture of where we're going. To help us with this, we have a video that's been prepared by the excellent crew at the Bible Project that teaches us a bit about the background to 2 Corinthians and gives us an overview of how the letter hangs together. And we're going to see that now. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Even though it's called 2nd or 2 Corinthians in our Bibles, there are multiple clues within this letter that it's not the second thing he ever wrote to the church of ancient Corinth. Paul started this Jesus community in Corinth some time ago on one of his missionary journeys. You can read the story in the book of Acts chapter 18. 
And after moving on, Paul got a report that things were not going well there. So he wrote the letter that we call 1 Corinthians to correct these problems. And it appears that many in the church rejected Paul's teaching in that letter and rebelled against his authority. And so we learn in this letter that Paul had followed up in person with what he calls the painful visit. And after that, he sent a letter which he says was written with anguish and tears. And so after all these measures, most but not all of the Corinthians realized their arrogance and they apologized to Paul. They wanted to reconcile. And so Paul wrote this letter to assure them of his love and commitment. The letter's been designed with three main sections, each addressing a distinct topic. So Paul first finalizes his reconciliation with the Corinthians. Then in chapters 8 and 9, he addresses the topic of forgotten generosity. And in the final chapters, Paul challenges the remaining Corinthians who still reject him. Let's dive in and you'll see how it all works. So Paul opens up by thanking the God of all mercy and comfort who brought peace and encouragement to him and the Corinthians during this time of division and dispute. He acknowledges that things have been tense since this painful visit and he makes clear he's forgiven them. He wants an open and honest relationship. But why had they rejected Paul in the first place? Well, we discover later in this letter that the Corinthians had disregarded Paul as a leader. He was poor. He earned a meager living through manual labor. He was under constant persecution and suffering. He was often homeless. And to top it off, he wasn't a very impressive public speaker. And so once the Corinthians were exposed to other more wealthy, impressive Christian leaders, they started to think less of Paul. They were actually ashamed of him. So Paul responds first by showing that their elevation of these leaders simply because of their wealth and eloquence is a betrayal of Jesus. It shows a totally distorted value system. True Christian leadership, Paul says, is not about status or self-promotion. Paul depicts himself and the other apostles as captive slaves to King Jesus, who's leading them on a procession of triumph. Paul's job isn't to be impressive, but rather to point people to the one who is. Jesus. He then alludes to the recent demand of the Corinthians that he provide some letters of recommendation to prove his authority and credentials. And this is ridiculous to Paul. Their church wouldn't even exist if he hadn't started it. And so he says they are his proof of genuine leadership. They are his letter of recommendation. He cleverly quotes from the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel saying that God's spirit has written his letter of recommendation on their hearts as his new covenant people. The Corinthians shouldn't need need any more proof than that. Now, the mention of the new covenant, it leads Paul into a long comparison between the old covenant between God and Israel that was mediated by Moses and the new covenant between God and the Corinthians mediated by Jesus and the Spirit. The old covenant made at Mount Sinai, it was truly glorious. It made Moses himself shine with God's glory, but that glory eventually faded, not to mention the fact that the laws of that covenant were ineffective at truly transforming Israel. But the new covenant, by comparison, is even more glorious because the resurrected Jesus is the very glory of God and he lives on forever. And it's his spirit that's now transforming people to become more faithful, just like Jesus himself. Now, this all sounds amazing. I mean, who doesn't want to share in God's own glory? But Paul goes on to show how the paradox of the cross turns upside down the Corinthians' ideas of glory and success. After all, Jesus' glorious exaltation as king took place through his suffering, execution, and death. 
On the cross, Jesus revealed God's salvation. He died for the sins of the world to reconcile people to God. But the cross does even more. It reveals God's character. He's a being of utter self-giving, suffering love that seeks the well-being of others. The cross also reveals a new cruciform way of life. And Paul's goal is that his life and ministry imitates the cross. So although his apostolic career, it's been marked by humility, suffering, by poverty, it was all to serve the Corinthians. And so when they disapprove of Paul's poverty and suffering, they disapprove of Jesus too. Paul's way of life and leadership is actually the proof that he authentically represents the crucified and risen Jesus. Paul really wants to reconcile with the Corinthians, but he won't let things lie until they've been transformed and embrace this upside-down paradox of the cross. After this passionate appeal, Paul moves on to address the topic of forgotten generosity. So the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem, they had fallen into poverty due to a famine. And Paul was raising money among the new churches that he started, full of mostly non-Jews. They would all send a relief gift as a symbol of their unity in the Messiah, Jesus. And so many of his churches, they were thrilled to give. But the Corinthians, in the midst of all this conflict with Paul, hadn't saved up for the gift. And for Paul, this isn't just about money. It's another sign that the Corinthians have not been transformed by the gospel about Jesus, which at its heart is a story of generosity. Paul says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. He's telling the story of the gospel through financial metaphors. Jesus gave up his glorious honor, or wealth, and he lowered himself to die like a poor slave, so that other people who are impoverished through sin and death can be exalted and become wealthy through the riches of God's grace. To be a Christian is to let this story sink deep into your mind and heart, letting it transform you into someone who's more generous, more willing to share your life and resources to help others. In the final section of the letter, Paul focuses on the main source of his conflict with the Corinthians, that group of impressive leaders that he sarcastically calls super apostles. So they came to Corinth promoting themselves and bad-mouthing Paul as a poor, unsuccessful leader. And at the risk of sounding self-promoting, Paul says, do these guys really want to compare credentials? He can totally take them on. Are they Jewish Bible experts? Well, so is Paul. He was a Pharisee, for goodness sakes. He has the whole Bible memorized. Do they want to brag about their superior knowledge of Jesus? Paul has actually seen and hung out with the risen Jesus. He's actually had visions of Jesus' heavenly throne room. But more importantly, Paul has given his entire life to the mission of Jesus. He sacrificed comfort and stability, and he never asked the Corinthians for money. Unlike the super apostles who charged a lot, Paul earned his own living. But, Paul says, he refuses to brag about these accomplishments because these aren't the things that really matter as a Christian. Instead, what he'll brag about is how flawed and how weak he is because it's in those inadequacies that he discovers the love and mercy of Jesus. Or as Jesus once told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect through weakness. Paul concludes the letter with a sober warning to the Corinthians. They need to check themselves. Their contempt for Paul, his way of life, their love for these super apostles, it all shows that they don't grasp who Jesus is on a fundamental level. They're not living like transformed followers of Jesus, and so he invites them once again to humble themselves before the love of Jesus. 
Second Corinthians gives us a really unique window into the life of Paul and the paradox set before us by the cross of Jesus. The cross challenges our values, our ways of seeing the world. We value success, education, wealth, but God values humility and weakness because his love and power were made known through the suffering, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. The cross also unleashes the transforming power and presence of the Spirit to empower Jesus' followers to take up his cruciform way of life and make it their own. And that's what 2 Corinthians is all about. So that is an introduction to 2 Corinthians. Before we finish this morning, I, I want to take a couple of minutes just to look at the first couple of paragraphs of the letter and see what God is saying to us as we step into this year. You know, as a tip, if you're wanting to understand one of the letters that St Paul wrote, it's always good to look at the first couple of paragraphs and the last couple, and you get a feel for the summary of what he's wanting to say. So what does he say in this uh, section of 2 Corinthians? Well, let's read the first two paragraphs together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people living throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. But this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. These are only short paragraphs and we're not going to think for a long time about them. This talk's already gone on for quite a long time. But they pack a big punch. I think there are three things that I just want to summarise for us as we start to head out on this journey together. Three big signposts, if I could put it that way, that teach us how to walk in the year ahead. First, even the best Christians suffer and experience hardship. Now that shouldn't be a surprise. Jesus himself was described by Isaiah, the prophet, in this way. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53 and verse 3. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. 
faithful, fruitful, spiritually mature Christians can find life hard. It isn't necessarily a punishment. It isn't the result necessarily of unfaithfulness or failure in some way. Paul says it's sharing abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. Following his path. Experiencing something of his sorrows. So that's the first thing. Faithful, fruitful Christians can experience hard times and even suffering. But second, God wants to comfort us in our sorrows. Paul refers to God in that passage we read from 2 Corinthians as the father of compassion and the God of all comfort. When we share in the sufferings of Christ, we do not do so alone. We can know the comfort of Christ even when we are suffering. Now that doesn't mean denying the reality of our pain. It means that we can find hope and strength by staying close to Christ, by staying rooted in and relying on God in the midst of that pain. We see an example of this in Jesus' life, in his period of most intense distress. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 22 and verse 39. This is telling the story of Jesus just before he was betrayed and executed says this, he went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted by sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He said to them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Christ found God's strength in the midst of his anguish and distress as he came to him and relied upon him. To the point where he was the strong one. Everyone else would given up and gone to sleep. So finally then, God wants to use our experience of suffering and of receiving his comfort in it to make us able to comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 6 says this. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer and our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our suffering so also you share in our comfort in other words Paul is saying God is taking us who are suffering at the moment and learning to be comforted by Christ in the midst of our suffering and he's going to use us to comfort you when you go through the same thing God takes those who've learned to walk with him in darkness and makes them a light to guide and comfort others. That's part of what it means to be the church, to have others around us who can pick us up when we fall, comfort us in our distress, and then make us able to comfort others in turn. 
So what does this mean in practice? How should we respond to this? Well, first, if you're finding this time really hard, it's okay. It's okay to find it hard. It doesn't mean that God's abandoned you. It doesn't mean that you failed or that it's your fault. But second, there is comfort for you. Comfort for all of us in the midst of our suffering. To receive it, we have to come to and rely on Christ. I know that's easy to say and hard to do. But there really is no other way. To pray regularly, even for short periods. To read small bits of the gospel each day as we're able to. To try and meet with others, to encourage them and be encouraged by them. And that leads to third, love one another. Get to comfort yourself from Christ and then give it to others. Why not ring someone this week and check how they're doing? Why not uh, list in your mind of, of two people you're going to pray for every day this week? Why not speak to someone who's suffering and hopeless and tell them about Jesus? See, God wants to comfort us when we suffer and use us to comfort others. Stay with us for communion.